Well, good morning, Redeemer. Good to see y'all. Frosty, chilly, feels like Boston. Uh, feels like, well, not really North Carolina, but uh, it is great to be here to worship y'all today. Um, I was trying to think, actually, it was last fall, the last time I was here, um, and I just was curious to see how everything is going. I really loved worshiping with you guys the last time I was here. Uh, I have much affection and love for Redeemer as uh, you all uh, were supporters of ours and prayers for us for seven years uh, as we planted New City Fellowship in East Dallas, serving refugees and immigrants uh, in that part of the Metroplex. Um, So I, I come with a lot of love and Ongoing gratitude for this body, and also um, fresh expectation and hope, and I'm just curious to see what God is going to do. Uh, we really want to see God do something amazing through you all, and that's what we're praying for. Uh, I still serve on the Mission to North America Committee of the Presbytery, but um, I also have recently taken two new jobs, so I'm splitting my time between Mission to the World can I get an amen? Amen. And uh, I also work for Third Mill, which is a Bible education uh, for the world for free ministry. Y- y'all can all download Third Mill on your smartphones and do a little, you, you want to just do a little Bible lesson uh, all day long on sun- this cold Sunday. It's free. You should do that. Um, but uh, one of the things that God is doing in my life and in my family's life right now is giving us the opportunity to go deeper with the global church, um, which is really in line with what our ministry was uh, in East Dallas. So I'm, great, I'm very grateful to the Lord, uh, and I'm also curious to see what God is going to do in my life and our lives. Um, I want to ask you a question. I like to do polls at the beginning of, you know, sermon, and we're, don't worry, we are going to read the text, and do, also don't worry, I only have two points in the, in the scripture, but um, let me just kind of see a show of hands. How many of you would say that you have had the chance to go on the trip of a lifetime? You say you've, you've been on the trip of a lifetime, you've been on an epic adventure, an epic travel um, I kind of looking around, I saw a few tentative hands, but I think about half of you raised your hands, and it would be really fun and interesting to hear you all describe the elements of what made that trip so epic, what made that journey so memorable, life-changing. Uh, I had the opportunity to go hopefully not on the last one, but I did have the opportunity last October to go on the trip of a lifetime with MTW. Um, A team of nine of us went to four countries in East Africa. Um, Can I get an amen, Toko? (laughs) Um, We got to go to Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Ethiopia. Um, So they're in the East Africa, Horn of Africa region. Now, uh, I was only in the capitals, uh, which one of my former pastors told me, you're not even going to Africa. <laughs> you're just going to the fancy places. Um, so I know I need to go back. But 
it felt like a trip of a lifetime. Our group of nine had the opportunity to meet with over 40 ministries and organizations. Um, We met incredible people, and we were inspired and received an undeniable taste of what God is doing, extending his kingdom to people of every tribe and tongue and nation. Uh, Here's just a little sampler of what we got to witness firsthand. Uh, A Christian nonprofit in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, employing over 100 refugee women to make gorgeous crafts. Um, It's called Amani Yaju, which means peace from above. And you could go, they have uh, actually a a storefront in Chattanooga, so you can even order their, I should should have put some of these uh, links up for you. But I was so inspired seeing the work they're doing. We had the chance to visit a presbytery meeting in Kampala, Uganda, where seven countries have formed together to create the Reformed Church of East Africa. There are 11 churches and seven countries represented in that new presbytery. Uh, We got to visit uh, fresh ground on a mountainside in Kigali, Rwanda, where a new seminary will be built uh, that will also house uh, an agricultural school. That is also extremely exciting. Uh, this is, by the way, these are all ministries that have explicit or pretty strong connections to uh, the PCA. Uh, in Addis Ababa, in Ethiopia, we got to spend time at one of the nation's leading community health clinics. Uh, that in the early years of um, the Bush administration and the PEPFAR aid to, uh, for, for AIDS relief uh, throughout Africa... Uh, This clinic, which was started by MTW missionaries, helped lead the country in improving uh, distribution, uh, behavioral medicine, and and they were seeing rates of vast improvement among the the people group that were connected to this local community health center. Christian colleges, seminaries, business incubators, agricultural programs, church planning networks, RUF, in some of the leading universities of East Africa, scholars, Africans training Africans how to evangelize Muslims. And what gave me the most encouragement of all was just the simple interaction with God's people, the people that we had the chance to meet. Young students, sacrificial leaders, whip-smart members of the church, God is doing amazing things in his world. His mission has not ended. And uh, maybe the next time I come, I'll, we'll, we'll organize a little more and we can do some slideshows in Sunday school or something like that. But uh, anyway, I, I just wanted to share that because in many ways it felt like we were a delegation, this honored delegation that had the opportunity to leave base camp here in Texas to go to the frontier, uh, from the center to the margin, ambassadors sent on behalf of God's people. And that is actually the thing that's happening in today's passage. But you'll notice it's not that straightforward. God's kingdom is not always simply proceed logically 
home base to the frontier. Uh, as I've tried to uh, name this sermon, but really it's going to be the next few that I'm with y'all, it's from the margins to the margins. That's how God's kingdom goes forward. And there are so many interesting glimpses we're going to see in this passage from Acts 8. Um, so I'm going to read the passage for y'all, and if you have the Bible on your phone, or maybe it will be up here, uh, you can follow along. Just listen and follow along too. Um, this is a really exciting part of the book of Acts to me. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 25. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered about went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. And saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying This man is the power of God that's called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, we would like in our quick, digestible little bite of the Bible to hit, have the passage end right there and go on our Sunday, start our week feeling great. <laughs> but Luke, the writer, goes on. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Here comes Simon. (laughs) Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness 
and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Pray with me. Lord, you gave us this story. You want us to meditate and feast upon it and apply it and understand it and find our own hearts and our own lives bound up in it. Would you give us the same spirit to help us live out and embrace more and more fully the gospel of your kingdom? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, I mentioned that uh, over the next couple times that I'm with y'all over the, in the coming months, I would like to look at uh, some of the mission to these near cities around the area surrounding Jerusalem. Um, the missiologist, Scottish professor named Andrew Walls says uh, this about the, the book of Acts, which we'll be in uh, when we're together. The Acts of the Apostles is a carefully constructed book. Its subject is the progress of the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem, where Jesus died and rose again, to Rome, center of the great empire and civilization of the day. And Luke marks milestones on the journey. Samaria, Antioch, Cyprus, across Anatolia and Greece, until at the end of the book we're presented with Paul preaching in Rome. I want to visit some of these places with you. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Samaria, and the next time we'll talk about Ethiopia, and uh, the time after that we'll look at Antioch. But there's a really interesting dynamic unfolding in these chapters, the near cities to Jerusalem, as God's kingdom goes out from Jerusalem. Now, um, I have a friend who helped me with this passage several years ago, uh, which is about mission to your neighbor, your near neighbor. And my friend made a statement about some of the way that we tend to like to do mission work. And this is what my friend said. I'm kind of curious if y'all have heard this before. We'll go to the ends of the earth, but we're not interested in going to the Samaritans. Has anybody ever heard that expressed before? Uh, possibly from uh, a beloved member of this congregation, possibly from uh, Reverend Purcell. <laughs> I got to give some credit where credit is due because it's an interesting way to think about how we will get up for a week-long trip or a two-week trip or a trip of a lifetime. But what about the ordinary life of mission? What about the ordinary coming and going in our, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our city? It's easy to travel somewhere for a week, but can we cross the tracks? Can we cross town? You know, I, uh, we're going to be looking at the Samaritan. We're going to go to Samaria together in honor of Blake. <laughs> but my prayer for Redeemer Arlington, as y'all are deeply invested in Metroplex, Arlington, and other local ministries, RUF, 
at UTA, New City Fellowship. My prayer is that Redeemer Arlington would continue to be known as a church that loves Samaritans, a church that loves to cross the tracks, a church that is compassionate and competent and credible in proclaiming Christ, a a whole Christ, a rich kingdom message for Samaritan neighbors. And I don't know, when you think, who is the Samaritan in my world, in my life, in my neighborhood, I wonder who comes to mind. That would also be a great conversation for y'all to have together. But I dream of not only that being true for Redeemer Arlington, I also dream of it being true for the PCA, our little branch of the church. One of the foremost things that we could be known for is Samaritan love. Not just to the ends of the earth, but to near neighbors, where we're doing life in schools, in the market, and every other facet of life. By the way, quick plug, um, there is a Mercy Conference that our Presbytery is hosting April 12th and 13th in Dallas, uh, in a refugee center uh, in East Dallas, and um, we'll get the the information about that to y'all, but... Uh, Redeemer is warmly invited. We'd love to have you there. We'd love to have your deacons or mission committee members or whoever might want to refresh their sense of mercy and and kingdom work. Uh, That's April 12th and 13th in Dallas. Going to be a great party. Um, Here's the big question as we look at this passage from Acts 8. What do you find when you go to the Samaritan next door? What, do you, what happens when you go on mission to your near neighbor? Well, what did the apostles discover happening in Samaria? They found the kingdom that was already there. God was ahead of them, and they found the joy of that kingdom. That's the big idea. When you go <laughs> to the Samaritan You'll find joy. You'll find joy because God loves Samaritans. God loves your neighbor, just as he loves you, just as you used to be the Samaritan. Uh, We're going to look at these two aspects of that in this passage, uh, joy in the city and joy in an individual's life, an unlikely individual. Uh, Joy in the, the broad panoramic sense and joy at the nearest, most intimate level. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Let's get our heads around Samaria first. And the incredible uh, description, as Luke gives us in verse 8, there was much joy, not just like a little, yeah, things are going pretty well. Much joy in that city, according to verse 8. What happens when the kingdom of God comes to Samaria is shocking. It is shocking on so many levels. I can't unpack all of them, but there's at least four levels uh, that just blow uh, the, the people of this day, the original audience, the early church, it would have blown their minds, and it ought to blow our minds as we study what God was doing in this enemy territory, in, in this rival city, Samaria. Um, four shockers. The first one is the circumstances in which the kingdom comes 
to Samaria. The gospel comes to Samaria. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the famous Tertullian quote uh, from the second century that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Probably spent a lot of time thinking about how true that was of this account in Samaria. Uh, Because at the beginning of this chapter, and uh, sometimes you'll you'll only see uh, focus on Samaritan ministry picked up in verse 4, but it's really important to have uh, the panoramic context. Because what's going on in Jerusalem? Well, if you back up to Acts chapter 6, as the church is growing and growing and Many are coming to faith in Christ, in Jesus, the carpenter, as the Messiah of Israel, the anointed promised king, the one that would come and restore the joy of Israel. Uh, In Acts chapter 6, there's actually a conflict, and the conflict is between the Jewish-speaking, the the native-born converts, and the Hellenized Uh, Christians, those who come from different backgrounds. All are following Jesus, but there are cultural differences. And in Acts chapter 6, it becomes apparent to the church that the the Greek widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. The the outsiders are being, being treated like outsiders, unintentionally, but there is a real blind spot. Comes to the attention of the apostles, and what's their response the Spirit guides them, and they, they choose seven of the Greek speakers, seven of the Hellenists, to be the deacons, to serve the table, to take care of the needs of the body. Uh, Stephen is one of those, and Philip is one of the seven. Philip the evangelist, not Philip the apostle. Philip is the, an apostle, too. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist, one of the deacons, a, Greek, a Greek-speaking a Hellenized deacon filled with, uh, the criteria for that was that they were to have good repute and filled with the Spirit. And so, as the deacons uh, take up this new ministry, what happens in Jerusalem, uh, and and we really see this characterized through Stephen, incredible testimony. Uh, Faith, (laughs) proclamation, gospel proclamation, Surrounded with deeds, surrounded with the beauty of the body being the body. And it's, it's so compelling, uh, we're told that even some of the priests are coming to faith. That generates the, uh, the opposition, the persecution. Uh, of course, that leads ultimately to Stephen's martyrdom, Stephen's death, his, his murder. Saul approving of that execution. And that seems to, at the beginning of this chapter, just to unleash the very powers of hell itself on the saints. A great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they're all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. So this pattern, you see this pattern over and over again throughout the book of Acts. Kingdom advance, <laughs> the Satan and his power, response, attack, counterattack, back and forth, these pulsations of advancing kingdom work. But at this moment, things look very dire for God's people, that all these converts are scattered. And that includes Philip, who is scattered 
uh, to Samaria. Men and women that are in the church are being arrested, imprisoned, great lamentation, great sadness, great darkness. Perhaps not unlike what our brothers and sisters in Kharkiv are experiencing, or our brothers and sisters in Sudan, and many other parts of the world. Great darkness descends, and yet, (laughs) this is the condition for God's perfect plan to advance. Through Philip, through this deaconing officer of the church, he goes down to the enemy city, Samaria, and proclaims to them the Christ. The second shocker we got to get our brain around is that the messenger of the gospel here is Philip. Philip, who is not an apostle, Philip, who presumably did not have intimate personal contact himself with Christ, Philip, who has been appointed to be uh, a a logistics guy to help figure figure out the practicalities. How are we going to make this co-working space, church plant, restart work? Well, Philip went down to Samaria, and he kept the main thing the main thing. He proclaimed the Christ. And the crowds listened to him. And maybe you can imagine Philip, who had to develop some savvy and some ability to go between worlds as a Hellenist living in Jerusalem, trying to advance the prerogatives of the church, work with the Jewish apostles. This is a, this is a complicated undertaking, is it not, <laughs> Redeemer? But he proclaims to them that Christ, his message is the gospel, the gospel of grace, free forgiveness for all of those who put their hope and trust in the carpenter who died on the cross and rose again from the dead and was with the church for 40 days before he went up to heaven. It says the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said when they heard him. So they heard him. They heard the message. They listened intently to him. And he had credibility not just because he was a nice speaker, or they just seemed to connect with that pastor, but because he was also demonstrating the proofs of the kingdom. Many signs attended his gospel proclamation. He had credibility. Verse 7 says, Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out. Many who had them, many who were paralyzed, many who were lame were healed. What an incredible thing unfolding at the hands of this man called to serve the table. The shocker, the third shocker, in this joy that unfolds in Samaria is the recipients. Who are the ones that are receiving the gospel message? Samaritans! Samaritans? Them? (laughs) Those are the ones that are going to be part of this story? We hate the Samaritans! And it's so uh, difficult to get our heads around this and you can insert, you know, substitute Samaritan for, I mean, you really, I want to exhort you, put the, the class or put the group or put the tribe 
or put the political party or put the family faction that most rank unsettles you. Put them in the place of the Samaritans because that's who the Samaritans were vis-a-vis the Jews. Such centuries-long enmity, opposition, they were ethnically related, half-breeds. They were intermixed, uh, partially because they had been the first to apostatize, creating rival temples, um, spiritually unworthy. (laughs) Historically, they sided often with the enemies of Judah, with the encroaching kingdoms, the Assyrians, partnering with the enemy, turncoats. And even when the Jews came back into Jerusalem, Ezra and Nehemiah record that the Samaritans were the ones who were the troublemakers, making it extra difficult as they're trying to rebuild the temple and the walls. Even more shocking that these are the people now receiving the message of grace is that who were the people that Luke actually tells us? Those that were ritually unclean, those with unclean spirits, those who had skin diseases, those who had physical disabilities, which made them ritually unclean in uh, Jewish temple worship, these are the least of the least, the, the least of our enemies. These are the ones eager, many of them, to receive gospel proclamation from Philip producing so much joy in that city. That's the last shocker that we see in Samaria. There actually is real healing. There actually is real conversion. There actually is real joining together in Christ-centered community of Jew and Gentile, of Greek and Roman. That, that's happening, and we'll see that much more even in Antioch, but There is tremendous fruit and beauty of what is happening, what God is doing, what the acts of the Holy Spirit are doing in enemy territory. So much so um, that it says in verse 12 that when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men men and women, even Simon himself. Great signs, great miracles great joy in that city. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for that? Do you feel like you've seen, you feel like you've had a taste of that before? you feel like you've seen something like that in your life? God moving among the unlikeliest of people in the unlikeliest of ways? Does that even seem possible in 2024? That's what God is still doing. Got to spend yesterday, uh, most of yesterday, with uh, a, a very veteran seasoned Chinese pastor and theologian, and we went to spend the evening celebrating the graduation of 13 men and women, young and old, couples, singles. There was even a mom with her baby on her hip receiving... Uh, a graduation certificate for completing the first year 
of third mill. Uh, it's called the foundation certificate. You study kingdom, the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, the covenants in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God in the New Testament, the covenants in the New Testament. And this group of 13 members of the Trinity Chinese Church in Allen were on fire. Their testimonies were incredible. Uh, one, one husband got up after his wife, who had done the program, uh, spoke about how much she had learned and how much she was grateful to know that she belongs to the covenant story. And then this dad got up and he said, hey, I want you to know, this is a younger guy, I didn't want my wife to do this. I didn't, I'm a kind of a conservative guy. I didn't want her going to get more educated than me. I didn't want her to, to do something. I was, I, was, I was actually fearful. I actually don't even, have never really liked interacting with the pastors in the church. I'm just turning this big confession and then he said, but you know what? I started the class this last semester. And I'm learning, and I'm seeing, and I'm being humbled. And I can't, I would love to tell you all 13 of the testimonies. I was blown away. There's so much joy in un, among, among Chinese, among, fill in the blank, joy in our city, in Arlington, in Dallas, in Richardson, in the Metroplex, in Texas, in the U.S., in the PCA. Joy. That's, that's what God does through an unlikely vessel to unlikely people. Now, that's the broad panorama. But Luke, if you actually look at the overall passage that I've selected, most of the passage is actually devoted to one person, one guy. Let's, let's zoom in uh, in the remaining time we have and look at this one guy, Simon, who is a piece of work. <laughs> Simon, uh, picking up in verse 9, who had previously practiced magic in the city, amazing the people of Syria, saying he himself was somebody great. Uh, this whole passage, there is a tension between what is actually great. Great persecution Simon says he's something great. The people even called him the power of God called great. The world compared with the kingdom where there's great joy, great signs, great miracles. But Simon is a piece of work. And you know what? So am I. And so are you. Look at what God does in Simon. Uh, This hustler, this great idolater, this fake, this, I've met, I've actually met a lot of guys, I've met a lot of Simons. In doing uh, ministry and spending time getting to know different uh, churches, different diaspora groups, different people groups, I'm sad to say the first Christmas that my family was in Dallas, uh, we, we were able to arrange with Town North uh, they allowed us to use the sanctuary that evening, and we were able to uh, bring in some friends who were uh, Congolese church, men and women from Democratic Republic of Congo. They had a worship service that night. There was incredible praise and dancing. I was playing drums, and, uh, and then they brought in the guest speaker who was going to give the message that night, Christmas Eve. 2016, and this guy 
stood up, and I'm still, I know this guy, he stood up, and he began to tell a story, Christmas Eve message, about all of his travels around the villages and through the bush of Africa, and this one particular place where he was going, performing signs and miracles, and he cut, just couldn't, he just couldn't get the miracle to work. And he was being made a fool, and he tried, he prayed, God, God do it, show your power, send the fireworks, and nothing happened. And he said, God, send your fireworks and, and make, bring healing to this village. And all the other village elders were beginning to make fun of this guy, and he said a third time, bring your power. And supposedly, as he told the story on the third time, the, uh, the power of God came and and healed people, but the message was curious because not at one point did he say anything about Jesus Christ. At not one point did he demonstrate any sense of weakness, humility, inability. His message on Christmas Eve (laughs) was, you should have faith like me. That's what Simon was like. I was so upset and, and just shocked. Because I knew what the lives of the men and women in the church were. They, they were there for Jesus. They were there looking for hope, encouragement, <laughs> affirmation of the gospel. And what did they get? They got Simon the Great. But Simon is even brought to conversion. It says in verse 13, Even Simon cannot deny the beauty and the power of the kingdom of God, the person of Christ. He's baptized, it says in verse 13, and then he continues with Philip. What is happening in the city and in this one individual is so significant that news of it travels all the way back to home base, all the way back to Texas. They find out in Jerusalem, the apostles hear what God is doing, and they send the delegation, Peter and John, (laughs) the the insider of the insider. Jesus is coveted two of the three, and they come and they uh, minister further. Um, Of course, now, you know, we could go off on a theological rabbit trail and talk about receiving a second blessing, and, you know, when you get converted, then you have to have the Holy Spirit. There are traditions that teach that from this passage that it is normal and good, and every Christian has to wait a second anointing. That's not the case. That's not what's happening here. This is an apostolic event at the hands of Jesus's hand-picked people. And yet, there is something further deepening, more significant happening as the Holy Spirit falls on the church in Samaria. And we know it is even more significant because in verse 18, when Simon sees it, he can't resist. Give me this power, Peter, John. He's he's not asking to go learn Hebrew from Blake. (laughs) Hey, give me the power. I want the shortcut. Give me... Give me the, what's the formula? How can, I, how can I be like on your level? What is demonstrated in Simon? What's going on? Do you think he was, was he really converted? Some commentators say, no, this was, it wasn't real the first time. It was all for show. 
not so sure. The old man in us, the flesh, dies hard, doesn't it? Simon was an egotist. Simon was a, a prideful person. Simon was, had a big head. You, you, you come to Christ and overnight, you, you just like that, that habit of thinking and living and pattern of interacting with people, that just goes away overnight. No. We don't believe, we do believe people can come to Jesus in any instant and in any moment and under the craziest of circumstances, even in a dream. But the life of following Jesus daily, weekly, in community, where you're known and your whole life is before the body. Sanctification is slow. I think Simon is an ordinary Christian. I think Simon is like us. Might not have the exact same sin struggle, package of sin struggles that Simon does, but it is very much so that the old man has to be cast off, has to be put to death. This is a lifelong journey of sanctification that all of us are on, and Simon is actually great encouragement to us. It's surprising that Simon the hustler, Simon the magician, Simon the great, actually shows us the gospel in an even more beautiful way. Because when Peter and John confront him, which loving brothers and sisters confront one another in sin, don't leave sin unchallenged. When he's confronted, what, what do they say? Brother, you, you better go before the Lord. You need to hold up the mirror to your heart. You need to examine what are you after? Have you understood Christ? Have you understood how painful it was for the spotless Savior died, who died so that your guilty soul can be counted free? Have you really grasped the mystery and the unending significance of that that will continue to change you day after day, week after week, month, year after year, decade after decade? You've not grasped the full glory of King Jesus just yet. So repent. So repent because you're out of alignment with God, but good news, good news, Redeemer, good news, Robbie, repentance, the call to repentance is a grace for us. It's an opportunity to get realigned, to bring our lives back in line with not our vanity and emptiness and greatness, but to get tapped back into the joy of the kingdom and the empowerment of being a weak sinner who is totally dependent on King Jesus. Peter says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Don't walk away. Redirect your motives. Ask for more spirit empowerment and help and ability to see and perceive what's going on inside of you. Pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. There is real bitterness, and there is real vanity, and there is real iniquity in what you're pursuing. 
but pray that you could be forgiven for that because there is forgiveness available. Simon the Great. And what does Simon do, verse 24? What an awesome demonstration of the fireworks of God. And it's hidden from us in verse 24 because Simon the egotist repents humbly, quietly. We don't know much more than that. I wonder if Simon, who had been traveling with Philip, as it says in verse 13, after his baptism, I wonder if Simon now joins himself to Peter and John in verse 25 as they preach the gospel to the other villages of the Samaritans. I wonder what you would say as you look at this passage, as you look at this testimony of God's amazing work, the Holy Spirit's incredible work in Samaria, I wonder what you would say is the great encouragement to you. Is it encouraging to see the paralyzed walk, the lame healed, the unclean demon-possessed brought back to themselves? Amen. The real fireworks in Samaria is that sinner repents and that you and I also are not bound. We're not. (laughs) We've been given the Spirit and set free to be honest witnesses like Philip, humble witnesses like Philip, honest like Simon, honest like Peter. Remember I said at the beginning that when the kingdom goes out, there's interesting things happening in both directions. If you follow the story of Acts, immediately the next chapter, when Peter goes to Caesarea, what happened, what's Peter's reaction towards the Gentile neighbor, his near neighbor? No, no, Lord, never would I have anything to do with them. Peter, weren't you in Samaria? <laughs> what about Peter in Antioch? With... Paul and Barnabas, and the Judaizers from Jerusalem come, and Peter with Peter, Acts 13, Peter, who has been on a lifelong journey, Peter withdraws from table fellowship with fellow Christians, because of a different tribe, and he separates himself. And Paul says, I called him out to his face because he stood condemned. Peter is also on the same sanctification curve that Simon's on. Different, different struggles, different callings. But Peter's no better than Simon. Peter is going to learn a life of repentance. And you and I are too. That is the actual glory of the kingdom of God. There is never a moment for a sinner convicted of the motives of his heart, shocked that she could act, in such haste, with such bitterness. There's never a moment where, as God through his spirit and the saints reveals to us what's going on inside, we get to repent. We get to return and find surpassing joy and join ourselves back into this great 
cloud and testimony of the witnesses. Let me tell you what he's done for me. I'm, I'm a recovering egotist. <laughs> Let me tell you my story of God's goodness and patience and kindness. Repentance unto life. That's what journey we're all on together, just like the apostles in Jerusalem, just like the Samaritans in the foreign territory, on the frontier. Joy in the city, joy for repenting believers, joy for the people of God as his kingdom continues to expand. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you know us completely. And with that omniscience, you don't reject us. You don't send us away. You don't say, this is it. You've had, this is the last straw, you're done. Lord Jesus, you know every nook and cranny of our hearts, every hidden place, every evident place. You know us so well, and you have given us total absolution, complete forgiveness, so much as we will ask you for it, so much as we will return to you and have our hearts chastened and shaped. Lord, give us the humility that Simon was given at the end of this passage. Give us the honesty to claim and name where we've gone astray. Give us the joy that comes from receiving fresh grace Even here too, Lord? Oh yes, God, you say to us. Even now, after the years and decades, yes, my child, my forgiveness still applies. Spirit empowerment is available to all of those of us who will ask for it. So Lord, we're asking you, help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.